Hi, I'm the thin line between Ron Weasley and Randall Thor. Dalen. And I am your gambling man, Eric. And welcome to Loyal's Book Club, a podcast dedicated to dissecting and discussing Robert Jordan's epic fantasy series, The Wheel of Time. Emphasis on the wheel. <laughs> That's right. I am your first time reader. And I am your grizzled veteran. And today we're going to be talking about chapters three to six of The Shadow Rising. Again. So, again. Re- revisited. <laughs> this is the uh, this is the reboot. This is the uh, gritty, sexy reboot. Hollywood said you loved it so much. 20 years later, we're, we're bringing it back. Exactly. <laughs> no one... No one knew this was coming. We It was like a secret project that we just went, and it's here, you know? Got to give the stands what they want. There's a TikTok dance around it, you know? Oh, Jesus. We've got a, we've got a Loyal's Book Club TikTok. Oh, my God. We should. <laughs> we should. Oh, my God. Dalen, I'm too old for this. You're my age. I literally, I literally turned your age last week, and I can feel the gray hairs growing out of the top of my head. Well, that's a you thing. <laughs> that won't stop the TikTok dances. That won't stop them at all. Because there are people like over 30 on TikTok, which I'm like, good for you. Not shaming in any way. So let's start with chapter three, Reflections. So we're picking up right where we left off. I found out through kind of like context clues that chapters two to six, I believe, are all on the same night. Right, and I think on my first read through, I was I was convinced that uh, there was about a two night span. Uh, and looking back over these chapters after that mistake, uh, you realize there's a lot of immediacy, and there's a lot of uh, we're we're just gonna get on going. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot more than in the prior three books. I feel like, but I also feel like this book has the benefit of we're no longer really introducing these characters and kind of introducing concepts still but at the same time it's kind of like we kind of feel comfortable enough to just sort of dive in and Mm -hmm. you don't need a full like Rand sad as he thought about oh when I left the two rivers almost a year ago when we did this it's kind of like a a little bit of a recap but not enough of like a I feel like when I read Harry Potter she would do that she'd be like Harry sat in potions and he thought about when he faced Voldemort and then he did this and then and you're like I know. I was there for that. Yeah. I read it. Yeah, Mr. Jordan understands that if uh you if you're here, you're you're in it for the long haul most likely. And oh, yeah. uh you know, I think I don't think it was an official prediction for the channel, but I think when we were just chatting about it, I, I think I said, I believe I I got a feeling that from this book going forward, we're gonna we're gonna start taking some turns. The first three books really feel like a uh I don't, I don't know what adjective to use, but a, a real almost standard adventure. You know, we're setting yeah. up the world. We got our heroes. And we definitely deviate in some ways with some more specific uh, tropes that are becoming very Wheel of Time-centric and stuff. But I've got a feeling, especially starting out with this chapter, that we're going to dive into what sets this series apart from other fantasies. Oh, yeah. I feel like we've kind of been lulled in with this sense of, standard adventure story and then Robert Jordan has decided along the way to kind of go okay but we're going to kind of twist it a little bit because he could have ended it with the dragon reborn with Rand killing Ishmael and it could have been oh so he did do that but 
there's too much to it. There's a lot that's left unsaid, you know? And I think the reveal of uh, who we thought was Balsamon is Ishamael. And I think that twists the knife a little further. Oh, it's far from over. Right. And, and if I could put it out there already, uh, I'm starting this book it, up to this point has made me the most excited to go back in a second read through because that's the other thing. There is yeah. a lot of track being laid that I think is going to pay off pretty soon. There's a lot of uh, groups of people. There's a lot of different factions. There's a lot of setting up. And there's a lot of minute details that I'm almost positive I've forgotten that, you know, like, let's just take the White Cloaks, for example. Yeah. We meet them a couple of times throughout the the first three books. Mm-hmm. Up until this point, because it's my first read-through, all I've got is like, oh, yeah, the religious zealots, you know. Yeah. But going back through a second read-through, I can almost guarantee you that there's going to be names that I'm like, oh, shoot, this person when they, you know, and all of that. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. And, and you're, you're right. We're introducing new concepts. And this chapter has one that I love so much. We talked yeah. about it the first time we tried recording this episode, but the bubbles of evil. Yes. <laughs> so we begin chapter three. We were kind of picking up where we left off. Perrin and Fail are en route to Rand's room to confront him. And Parents kind of like noticing everybody's like running around and he's kind of like everyone's not like bowing to him. Like there isn't that sort of like, oh, it's the Dragon Reborn's friend. And um, they get up to where Rand's floor is and they find the High Lord uh, Torian. And he's kind of a little suspicious. Like Perrin notices he's watching Rand's room, him and his guards from the shadows and all three are armed and parents like yeah that's usually only the defenders of the stone are armed so we're kind of getting hints that the high lords of tear are starting to get a little comfortable around rand and so like kind of rereading that and knowing moraine's fears and tom and what tom is they're both like kind of freaked out about you kind of see the little bit of the seeds planted. And so... Uh, yeah, for what it's worth, I do not trust any of the Lords of Tear. I don't trust oh, any yeah. Lords. I don't trust anyone in any seat of power around Rand. I, you know, and I'm sure we'll meet some down the road and stuff, but as it stands right now, all of them, I think, have their own agenda. I don't trust any of them. I don't like any of them. Oh, yeah. Uh, they better they better leave my boy alone. Yeah, no, there's not one trust were the uh, High Lord of Tear, And I had a theory because Perrin and Fael watch Berylaine leave Rand's room. And Perrin watches as Berylaine goes down the hall and he like first catches that whiff of like fear. He's like, it reminds me of like a festering wound. He sees the same High Lord Tyrion pull Berylaine aside and like they have like a quick conversation and she kind of brushes him off. I'm like, did he send Berylaine? in there oh because she talks about how she's a captive in name to the high lords of tear so there's i don't know if there was a thing of maybe torian or even the lord that uh tom is blackmailing in the next chapter they have this like plot or something and they were kind of like, let's send Berylaine. She's a very pretty woman. Let's see what she can do, you know? Yeah, you know what? I totally believe it. Um, like I said, there, uh, or maybe not even said, but I, I think at least we've, we've chatted about it. 
everybody's got a thing. Everybody has their own personal agenda. And yeah. a lot of times those are wrapped up in other people's agendas. I was so focused on the Perrin Fael stuff in this chapter that I that totally just whooshed over my head. So yeah. I, I believe it. I, I believe people are using other people as ends to and means and everything. Yeah, or means to an end. Especially with rather. Tyr, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a funny moment because Fael sees Perrin uh, watch Bear Lane go and she just kind of goes, you know what? I'm going to go back to our room and go to bed. I'm pretty tired. And Perrin's like, are you sure? And she's just like, I don't want to listen to boy talk. And she, <laughs> Perrin, it just goes whoosh over his head. He's like, I wish you'd say something that I'd understand. And she's just like, oh, Perrin. I, you know, this was one of the moments I wish I could jump into the book and pull one of the characters aside and go, hey, listen, I've, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help you out here. I've been in the same position. Uh, you, you, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you should read the subtext a little bit with your new girlfriend. Take a second. <laughs> pause. Um, also, like, I don't think he's told her he can smell emotions yet. So. No, I don't. Has because Fael definitely knows that Perrin's special, but I don't think he hasn't like revealed his wolf nature to anyone except Moraine at this point, right? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. So I've, I've got a feeling that you know. That's that's gonna come up in the couples counseling down oh, the yeah. road. <laughs> They're Mr. and Mrs. Smith moment. <laughs> exactly. Well, in Fael, I believe you know I I said it before. I think she's got way more under the surface than she's let on. Um, yeah. I really wouldn't be surprised if you know, because she's a huntress. She's after the horn. Yeah. I would not be surprised in the slightest if that is just a front or a cover up, and there is some other. Again, agenda. Another personal agenda. She's on a mission, and that's just her cover. Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. actually, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna put that in the uh, predictions. That's one of my predictions. Right. Fail has something that she is hiding that she has not revealed. She will tell Perrin because they will have a very close relationship, but it's going to test that relationship. Interesting. Yes, that's that's what I got. That's what I'm loading in the chamber. All right, all right. Well, we have to pocket that because when. Perrin gets to, like, the antechamber. He goes through the defenders and then the Aiel. Bane and Shiad kind of point their spears at him. We're like, dude, you can't go in. He's already chased people out. And Perrin's like, well, I'm going to go in anyway. And they have his their spears at his neck. And Shiad goes, have you ever played uh, Maiden's Kiss? And Perrin just goes, maybe another time. And they're all <laughs> cracking up. And Perrin's like, Tom's right. You can't understand women. It's like, oh, my God. Again, my one, one of my favorite uh, running running gags in this whole series is how each of the three boys thinks that the other boy is better with women than, yeah. than them. And truth be told, they all kind of... They suck with women. They, yeah, they, they just do not... They're, they're all very charming, but they all have a lot of growing up to do. Perrin fully has a girlfriend. It's just like, I'm not good with women. It's like, <laughs> you secured one. You got one. I imagine Perrin, like, kissing Fael and, and him, like, stopping and being like, wait, wait, wait. Do you like like me? Yeah. <laughs> Perrin is going to fully walk, uh, like, marry Fael and go... What are we? <laughs> what is this? What is this? <laughs> Parents going to be uh, dying of old age by you out of sight. So you like me? Oh my god! And you know what? I've I've got a I've got a bad feeling in my stomach that like this boyishness is on limited time. I you know, and they've already had some like strides and some uh, amazing yeah. things happen to them. But 
I've Dalen, I've got I've got a bad feeling about this book. It's it's a it's that's all I can say. Oh. Because they can only be those boys from the village for so long. Yeah. And so yeah. I mean, it's already gone with Rand. Matt's clinging to it. Perrin is kind of like not like white knuckle grip, but I think he's just kind of like it would be nice, mm-hmm. you know. Well, and I think, you know, and I think uh yeah, they're they're all very interesting in their individual ways because they are boys from the village. They are shedding that, you know, that old life a little bit. Rand's was definitely forced on him oh, yeah. when the dragon reborn. Perrin's kind of was too. And you're exactly right. Matt is kind of hanging on probably the best and probably the most stubborn yeah. <laughs> uh, than the three of them. But I, that's that's also why I've got a bad feeling, I think, most about Matt in this book. I just... I want to call it quits here and, and, <laughs> and rewrite the ending for myself. But I, I know you we got to go. I know we got to go forward. But yeah, you definitely see Rand. The Rand's change was forced on him. And you can see in this chapter, he's trying to gain some semblance of control. Because right. when Perrin comes into the room, he sees the blood and he sees the glass. And he's like, oh, it wasn't you. And Rand goes, no, it was a forsaken. And, you know, Perrin is like, puts a bit of cloth to the wound on Rand's side and is just like, okay, like, we need to focus here. What happened to Matt? Is Matt okay? What if Matt's dead? What if it's this? What are you going to do? He's important. Because Perrin, I feel like, is really taking the Tavir thing seriously. Right. While Matt's kind of like, I don't want this. And Rand's just really on himself. Right. And he tells Perrin, he's going to do what he has to do, what they least expect of me. And it's just kind of like... Okay, so Ruark comes into the room next, and we learn already there's rumors spreading about what happened in Rand's room. Everything ranging from, like, Aes Sedai to, like, the last battle being fought. And so it's really not looking good, and it's not made better when Moraine and Lan come in. And, like, Moraine is furious, but the first thing Lan does is he tells Rand... I thought you were uh, old enough to be able to learn how to shave yourself. And Ruark goes, he'll learn. It's time. And they both, like, laugh. And then Moraine just is like, no. It's this random, like, rare deadpan land moment, which is fantastic. I don't, I don't know what to make of that moment because it is so against, like, wh- how land normally is. Yeah. Like, just very stoic and very, you know, like a watchdog, a guard dog. And to to, to actually see him, like, bust out a joke was, yeah. I loved it. I just didn't know what to make of it. It confused me for a second. I feel like we're seeing this weird breakdown of land. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not the... S- the warder of legend because Perrin sees him disagreeing with Moraine oh, later on because yes. uh Moraine essentially is like, Hey, you can't just sit here. And like, she heals him and Rand goes, so you can't heal the wound to my side. And he quotes a bit of prophecy. And she goes like, you are reading these things, but you do not understand what they mean. And Land goes, he's just trying to find his own way. And even Perrin's like, whoa, you talked back to her, yeah. you know? You know what? That That is so true. And that that is, that's a great observation. I'm going to, I'm going to keep with me because uh, this, this whole series has a very definitive, you know, emphasis on storytelling throughout their lands, uh, prophecies and stuff. So 
I could totally, I could totally buy that, you know, the warders of legend, you know, their, their deeds being spread around as like these great men, but not a lot of them, unless you're Aes Sedai or yeah. in the company of them, probably don't know what they are personally. So to kind of see Land break down as a person a bit more, especially with the, uh, the previous, you know, track being laid of, of, of him being romantically interested. Yeah. Uh, cause that was another one that, that. I kind of got taken aback because I thought this was just going to be very much, you know, like an Aragorn Strider figure, even without his love interest. I thought it was just going to be a dude with a sword. The strong, silent type. Exactly. But I feel like that's what we got for the first uh, one or two books. Mm -hmm. Because, again, we're seeing Aes Sedai Warder and then who have been on the hunt for the Dragon Reborn for 20 years. And then the Dragon Reborn, the book, we're starting to see this isn't what we thought it was going to be. I think they are also starting to become more aware of um, of human nature, I think. Right. Well, I think Moraine had the plan. Yeah. She knew what she was going to set out to do. And I think when you have a plan and you're actually in the plan, you realize it's a lot more messy when you're when you're trying to execute the plan so i i think we're just starting to see you know deviation from from what was on paper to how these people as persons actually operate again i think moraine had this idea of when 20 years earlier she left the white tower going okay gonna find the dragon gonna bring him to the white tower so swan and i can kind of try to attempt to teach him to control it so he won't go mad I don't know if she thought it would take 20 years to find him, but I and I don't think she figured he would be a stubborn mule-headed right like <laughs> a, two rivers sheep herder who I think I don't know if she expected it to be like a figure of the store who'd be who'd like square his shoulders straighten his back and go, "Yes, I will right. do it." I think she when she kind of saw Rand starting to pull away, she went, shit, you know? <laughs> yeah, what what you expect and then actually what you get. Exactly. So, again, it's what you said about rereading it is you kind of see a lot more how early on the human in Moraine is there, but you don't see it the first time because you're seeing an Aes Sedai through her eyes. Right. Once you kind of see what happens and what she goes through, you're like, oh, okay you know yeah well and even just uh looking back to uh i think it might have been great hunt when the i'm 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 not gonna botch the word i'm just gonna i'm gonna ask for a little bit of help Omerlin? yes you you knew it uh, Omerlin. okay yeah. uh see I, I was gonna go with like the long a and uh, so the uh the Omerlin, did I do that right? Yeah, you got uh, it right. Yeah, you got it right. <laughs> when she comes to the the fortress uh, in the beginning of that book, and you know, there's a little bit of the the hush hush nod nod between her and Moraine. Again, there was just so much subtext that I didn't realize yeah. was right there until you realize that they've been in cahoots for over two decades or longer yeah. than that. I think they. I think we find out that they've been coming up in the White Tower together when they were younger. Yeah, because Elijah talks that about that. Like she's like, I knew them when they were novices. Blah blah blah. Right. You see, there's this isn't a huge spoiler, but there's a prequel novel called New Spring, which is told from Moraine and Land's perspective, and it's set 20 years before the story starts. So essentially, the chapter ends with Moraine telling Rand the danger and naming it out to us of 
the Tyran Lords, you're going to get too comfortable. And then what if a Forsaken comes? What if another bubble of evil comes? Which, forgot to jump back a little bit, Moraine finally explains what it was that happened in Chapter 2. And it's a bubble of evil. And she says, as the seals to the Dark One's prison grow weaker, a sort of miasma will attach itself to the thread of the pattern and burst. And she said, as this goes on, as the seals weaken, it's going to get worse, and it's going to especially affect the Taviran a lot more. So that is raised stake number one, because I feel like a bubble of evil could do more damage than a Forsaken right now. Yeah, well, it feels like it's not so obvious. It's not just another person. It could be an event. It could be, you know, so many things. And I... It really, again, I really love this conceptually because it's it feels so Wheel of Time specific. Yeah. It feels like I have never encountered this before. I've never, I've never, I've never seen this in any other books oh, or same. anything. Uh, and by the way, that 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 is a brilliant SAT word that you busted out. Uh, uh, Miasma. Oh, I love oh, it. Love oh, that. catch me! I was in AP English. I got a three on that exam. <laughs> Didn't do well, but I got a three. <laughs> Uh, but, I read Charles Dickens. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love the bubbles of evil. I feel like we're going to get a lot of that through this book. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to it. And you're exactly right. And she's exactly right, obviously. It's going to affect these boys. They have a target on their back. They are they are like a, a flame to these moths, you oh, know? Yeah. They're going to attract danger. And not only that, that doesn't just raise the stakes for our, our boys who are to there. And this raises the stakes for everyone around them. Yeah. Because, the they're, world. yeah, they're going to be endangering a lot of people around them. Yeah. And so the danger is set in a little bit more when, uh, so I believe it's Bane and Chiad come into the room with some water and they're like, all right, y'all can go. And Rand is kind of like, I can wash myself. And Chiat's just kind of like, I've cleaned my brothers before. Nothing new. Like, you already get this sort of sense that the maidens of the spear sort of treat Rand as like a little brother almost. Right. You know, and it's kind of cute. But then when Perrin and Rourke are talking a little bit later, we learn that just because Rand is the dragon reborn does not mean that he is the Aiel prophecy-sized person he who comes with the dawn right and as a little fun fact for y'all in the episode we recorded earlier eric predicted that gall was he who comes with the dawn do you still hold to that prediction absolutely i'm not going to try to deviate too much from our uh, our previous uh uh sponged recording i do think so i think Again, like this book, especially just in these couple of chapters, is breaking away from the uh, the standard or the you know uh, uh, stereotypical fantasies. So you know, probably in the first three books, I'd be like, oh no, it's gonna be Rand. It's gonna be Rand, X, Y, and Z all the time. I do believe that these prophecies are a bit more specific. I think these prophecies yeah. involve a lot more people than just the Dragon Reborn. So yes, I do think there is. Uh, a different he who comes with the dawn. I do think it's Gaul, uh, especially because I know he is a fan favorite. So, yes. and because of that, I I think he's he's got to be doing something big, something impressive or, or something. So, yep, calling it half court shot. Hwa. All right, all right. So Ruark says he might be your prophesized hero. He's not ours. And mm -hmm. Perrin kind of goes, well, what happens if he ends up not fulfilling the things you need him to do? Roark doesn't answer, and we're kind of left with Perrin going, 
okay, so if the Aiel leave and the only line of defense Rand has are the defenders of the stone, who can easily be influenced by the Tyran lords, we need, like, Fael needs to get out of here. I think he goes, Fael needs to leave, and this is not a decision. Mm-hmm. Like, it, she has to decide to leave. Yeah. And that's where we end it, yep. which is a very, it's troubling because, again, Robert Jordan kind of shifts the idea of, oh, he's the chosen one. He did the prophecy. So everyone likes him. It's like, yeah. no, he has something to prove to a different culture now. He has to, like, prove he is their prophesied hero. And so now the stakes are raised again. Right. And we shift away, too, a little bit in this book. Um, most, I think every book, except the first one, the first one's kind of setting up, you know, the village and all yeah. that. I I think I'm calling this right. Basically, the first parts of every book have been they need to go somewhere or do something. And in this one, they're kind of, you know, Robert is letting the characters kind of steep in yeah. in these new dangers and kind of getting used to this new setting of danger and, right. and this consistent, constant danger. So, yeah, because the book one, they have to go to... The initial goal is they go to Tarvalon. Mm-hmm. Complications, they get split up at Shadar Logoth, meet up in Camelin, then end up in Faldara. Right. And then they go to the Eye of the World, blah, blah, blah. Faldara, it's like every character goes somewhere specific. After In book two, it's Egwene, Nynaeve, uh, go to Tarvalon... Rand, Matt, and Perrin are chasing after the dagger with the Shinarans mm-hmm. after the uh after Pat and Fane steals it. And then book three Rand runs away. <laughs> Rand uh literally like Naruto runs away. <laughs> pa- uh Nynaeve, Egwene, Elaine, and Matt are at the tower. Perrin is with Moraine on the worst field trip ever. Yeah, so you know, we we, we have a we have a total shift in stagnation yeah. here. And I think that's very interesting. I, I don't think that's accidental. I think that is setting up for what is to come. And I I got a bad feeling of what is to come, Dalen. Because we haven't gotten that, okay, like, why do they need to leave? You know, there hasn't been anything that's happened yet, you mm-hmm. know? But I think there is something that will come. Because we're going to jump to chapter four, a short chapter, which is called Strings. And we meet up with Tom, who, again, I think we haven't gotten to see uh, a lot of Tom playing Dias Damar. Um, we know he's really good at it. We know he's yeah. played in the past. We know he has a, a, a history, uh, not only just in the game and in that city, but with... Uh, God, there's so many characters. I need a cheat yeah. sheet. He's, he's got a romantic history with the queen? Yes, he was uh, Morghese's former lover. Then he went... Yeah, and then he pieced out. So, you know, I know he's got street cred, but you're exactly right. We haven't seen him actively do it. We have, actually. That's my bad. Tom started the Civil War in Kyrian. Oh, shit. So there was the whole thing with the granaries. And then um, I believe, okay, Zul, get ready, because I'm going to get some shit wrong. So (laughs) um, there is uh, Barthane's Damodred. Who, that's when Rand, Matt, Loyal, Viren, Ingtar, and Tom, they go to that party. Rand gets cornered by all the women. And they're like, oh, you're so handsome. You're right. so handsome. Because they're trying to find the Waygate and the Horn. That's right. So, uh, Barthanes is murdered. And it comes after 
the death of Tom's lover, and it's very heavily implied that Tom killed Barthanes oh. as revenge. And so that started up a lot of shit. Tom is very deadly. Right. I think more than he lets on. And I think he lets that... He takes advantage of the fact that he's a gleeman. And so what he's doing right now is he's forging a letter in the hand of one High Lord, the High Lord Carlion, to be found by... Uh, another high lord and it says be wary your husband suspects that's right so it's this whole game of i think i don't know i'm working on the theory that tom knows that high lord carleon and high lady altiema whose husband is going to find the note are having an affair Mm -hmm. and i think the reason why he's setting all of this up is i think he i don't know if he suspects that uh the high lord uh, what is his name? Uh, Tadosian. Tadosian is part of uh, the crew that is trying to do something to Rand. If maybe Tom heard word that something they're planning something against Rand, or they heard, oh, he's getting a little weak. So Tom wants to throw a wrench in that machine because right. he's ultimately like, I'm in this too deep. So Tom is composing this note. It's late, and he hears a knock at the door. And who should it be but his idiot nephew? <laughs> Matt comes in and Tom notes like something's off. He didn't do his usual quip about like, oh, you're in the servants quarters. And I'd like to think that I don't think Matt plans ahead, but I'd like to think that if you are Matt's a good improviser. I feel like Matt is very good about comes in. Boom. You're here. Oh, um, I'm surprised you didn't bow first. Like, I feel like Matt always has them ready. I don't know if he, like, plans ahead and, like, he has, like, a little sheet that he just, like, crosses off everything. He's like, did I do this one? No, not yet. <laughs> He's got, like, a pocket full of note cards. <laughs> yeah, like, just like a... Fuck, fuck, okay. Uh... Hey, Tom, got room to sleep in here? No, damn it. <laughs> just cut, like, I'll come back, I'll come back, I'll come back. Um, but Matt comes in and he's, you know, uh, like... Every time I want to leave, I just get this feeling in my gut, and I can't leave. And Tom is quietly going, Tavirin, Tavirin, Tavirin. Matt's like, don't say Tavirin. I will not say Tavirin. But he, like, keeps, like, implying with his words, it's Tavirin, my guy. I'm so sorry. Like, and it's a thing of, I feel like Matt's really rattled from what happened. Because I think it's like, you've been around Forsaken. You've been around Merdral, Trollocs. But I feel like Matt's always had this blanket of safety of Aes Sedai and a warder have kind of been there to kind of keep it off. Mm-hmm. This It feels so personal to him right now. So that's why I feel like it's a little bit more, fuck this, I don't like this. Well, one of his, you know, personal themes and mantras has always been, when I finish this, I'm done and I'm getting out of the game. And I think... I think this is a bit of an event that even if he hasn't realized it or has been honest with himself, I think he's starting to realize that he is sucked in for the long haul. Oh, yeah. He can't get out of it so easily. And yeah. I think I think it freaks him out a little bit. I think he doesn't like having any control. Exactly. I think that's why he likes playing dice. He mm-hmm. His luck can kind of control it. Cards, he can't. Stones, somewhat. But... Yeah, I think Matt likes having an ability to do what he wants, and he kind of can't do that now, but he and Tom settle on playing Stones, and 
Tom convinces him to stay another night. And that's where the chapter ends. So Yeah, and uh, I think it's very interesting that it's the game of stones that they play. Mm -hmm. Because that's Tom's game. Oh, yeah. That is Tom's game of, like... Oh shit! Right? Yeah. You know they they don't they don't play dice. They don't play Matt's game. They don't play a neutral game. They they play Tom's game. Yeah. And Tom, I feel like you know there's a bit of subtext in this chapter of Matt goes to the person he trusts the most. Yeah. And it's not it can't be Rand. He, he you know that's it's too hot over there. You yeah. Know, I, he doesn't want to be around that. It's not Perrin. You know those friendships are kind of splitting apart a little bit. They're yeah. they're becoming more deeply like almost like a brother in arms kind of relationship yeah. but but it's not a trusted confidant anymore it's it's no one it's it's tom yeah so and i think it's very interesting that that tom has this type of sway over matt oh yeah mm-hmm. well i also feel like tom and matt kind of get each other yes i think i don't i wish again harriet team jordan if you hear me prequel tom like i would love to know what like 20-something Tom Marilyn was like. I, I bet you Tom was just Matt. I I think I think That's... there's a lot of Tom in Matt, and I think Tom sees that. I think he sees, you know, kind of a, a I don't know what you would call it, like a, a, a an unfocused and unchiseled. There's Matt's got a lot of growing up to do, yeah. a lot of learning to do, and I think Tom has been through a lot of what Matt's going to go yeah. through. So that's also why I love this pair. Oh, yeah. I think Thomas Hoyd but you don't know who that is. I, whoosh, all right over my head. So um, it's a nice filler chapter, not a filler, but a kind of nice break. Because while we do get the more intricacies of something is being planned by Tom, it's not heavy, you know? It's not this, oh God, because right now we're at two stakes being stabbed into the ground. And when we get to chapter five, we get the third, right. and it's not great. Right. So we're going to go on ahead to Chapter 5, Questioners. So Egwene and Nynaeve are, uh, have been interrogating the Black Sisters, uh, Joya and Amiko. And Avienda's just kind of chilling nearby. Uh, Avienda's the uh, Aiel woman that they met in the third book, uh, the Wonder Girls. Uh, when that wasn't they... the one that they saved, right? W- was she just part of the group? She was a part of the group. Okay. Um, and I believe she's the one that introduced like the idea of the he who comes with the dawn right. prophecy and that everyone was just like, Rand does kind of look Aiel. <laughs> but she, I think she was also on the roof when Matt blew up the uh, Stone of Tears. She's, so she's kind of been around and now she's hanging with the Wonder Girls and she calls Egwene Aes Sedai and Egwene's just kind of like, I like that. <laughs> well, no, she's like, I, I'm not, I said, I, and she feels really bad about lying. Cause she's like, me and all the end, it could be friends. And it's kind of like this thing of like, if she finds out we've been lying to her and kind of like saying, yeah, we're, I said, I, it's like, but isn't that just see, and that's, and that's why I'm, I'm going to stand by it. I think Egwene, even if she's not admitting to herself, I think she likes it. I don't think she can ignore it. I think this is a running theme of we all have our destinies that we cannot ignore. And also, isn't it just so Aes Sedai mm-hmm. to not be Aes Sedai, but to not tell people oh, you're yeah. not Aes Sedai? <laughs> I mean, I think Egwene is more suited for an Aes Sedai than Nynaeve and Elaine. Oh, yes. Because as yes. much as I love Nynaeve, I don't think, and I'm not saying Egwene is like manipulative or like it's like it suits her, but I think she's someone who can fit into that role pretty easily without really like, yeah, there's guilt, but she can kind of put that aside to go, 
we have to continue. I, I think she understands manipulation as a tool. I think she understands a bit from the outside of what Moraine is doing. Yeah. I think I think Nynaeve is so against it. I think, you know, her whole her whole focus right now is to become one so she can undo another one. Yeah. I I, I agree with you. Egwene is definitely like our head Aes Sedai, the most oh, yeah. the most fitted, the most likely to fill those shoes. And I feel like Elaine is this it, it's more like I'm taking a prerequisite for my major, but I'm going to be queen, so it's okay. <laughs> right. You know, I don't think, like, she's strong in the power, but she's not like, this is my focus. I don't want to be Amarlin's seat. I'm going to be the queen, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and Nynaeve just has the thing of she can't channel unless she's furious. Angry. And yeah. it doesn't, it's rough for I her. can't believe I never made this comparison. Uh, Nynaeve is the Hulk. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh wow, <laughs> that's a that, be. That's my secret land. I'm, I'm always angry. Tugs braid. <laughs> uh, Gwen. If, if we're like comparing them to the Avengers, yeah. Egwene. Mm, that would be a little Loki-ish. Yes, I definitely agree with that. Egwene would be like Hawkeye. Never misses. Technically correct. Huh. Uh, Rand would be. Rand almost has Captain America vibes. If no, like Captain America, Rand is Winter Soldier. Yes. Oh, that's good. Ooh, yeah, that's good. Um, let's see. Perrin is Perrin. Perrin is Mark Ruffalo, not the Hulk, but when when Doctor Banner is his human self. Yeah. Little mild mannered, little little friendships with everyone. Fael is Black Widow. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, Elaine. I can't call Elaine uh, T'Challa because that's incorrect on very... But we don't have any royal characters. That's true. I'm, I feel I'm... like Elaine may be Scarlet Witch. Ooh, I like that. That's Ooh. good. Ooh. That's good. Yeah. We're digressing. But you know what? <laughs> I love it anyway. So... We love our tangents on this podcast. Oh, yeah. But yes, they're uh, interrogating. We're seeing them in action. And uh, I've so this isn't a prediction, but this is something I've kind of read into. Egwene has some power that she's not even aware of because she, in the last book, you know, going into this one, I, I don't know if this is the term for it or what she actually did, but she stills one of the Black Ajahs. Yes. That is some freaky shit, man, because she never learned how to do that. That yeah. was like raw innate power uh, and Egwene took to being in Teleron very much like okay hi I'm here she's still learning but the speed at which she's learning she's is a like, natural well what's and it's like it's really kind of like it's kind of nice to have that because it's like if there's people after Rand I feel like Egwene would be the first person who yeah like she treats him like a little brother sometimes even though he's three or four years older than her mm-hmm. she would be I think the first one to kind of be like okay well, Boom. it makes sense because Min made a prediction back in the first book with, with Egwene and Rand of like, you two will be together for a long time, but not in the way that you think yeah. now. And at that point, they thought they were going to be like married or romantically. It totally makes sense if Egwene is always kind of looking out for Rand. Like almost Rand's warder. Exactly. Oh, I love that. I love like, that kind of switch. Yeah. I love that. Um. So they're interrogating uh, Amiko and Joya. And so what we found out is stake number three, there's something in Tanchico that is dangerous to Rand. We don't know what it is, 
but something is there. And we find this out through uh, Joya, because she says, I overheard Leandrin and the others talking about it. And so there is something there that they're like, we have to go. Right. We got our, we got our MacGuffin. You know, yeah. we, we, I think every book has one. You know, we got, we had the horn, we had the eye of the world, we had uh, the, the sword that is not a, the sword that is not a sword. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I, and this is probably, in, in my opinion, as, as a critique from me as a first time reader, it's one of the weaker parts of the book to yeah. have an item that is like the thing, but I will give it some room and some space because I think it is such a part of the yeah. fabric of well, the Wheel of Time. Yeah, because the Eye of the World, that's how we get the Dragon Banner and the uh, Horn of Valir. Right. The Horn of Valir is how Matt gets the... The army. The Hero of the Horn, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that sets into motion a lot of the series, the Kalendor, and now mm -hmm. whatever's in Tanchico. You yeah, know? and I will say, again, like, as a critique, I think it's one of the weaker parts of its storytelling however i do think as we clip along it's getting stronger and woven more into the fabric and i'm yeah. starting to realize like exactly how you're saying each one kind of leads into the next one yeah i'm kind of worried about rand like in general yes but i'm i got a feeling dalen it's not a prediction mm -hmm. but i've got a feeling that rand is going to fail hard Interesting. at some point he is going to get hurt he is going to fail I, I don't know when or how it's going to happen, but I've just, I've got a feeling about that. And and this especially came up with the reference to this mysterious item in Tanchico. Yeah. So I can't speak on that. But, <laughs> um, and then we get the fourth stake. They, uh, Egwene kind of like binds Joya. She puts, like she weaves air so she can't hear, can't speak, and can't move. And they talk to Amiko who essentially tells them the plan was there is a third dra uh, false dragon dragon in Saldea, and his name is Mazram Taim. And what the plan was, was they were going to release Taim out into the world as Randalthor and essentially say, go nuts, go crazy, and allow the destruction and chaos and death to go under Rand's name. And it's like, they can't prove it's not him because he's a male channeler. Who's the same. Right. So Mazram would claim himself as the dragon reborn. And essentially the armies of the world would turn against Rand and hunt him down and kill Rand causing. So when the last battle comes, the dark one would rule free without any interruption. I love it conceptually of, like, using a false dragon against the real dragon. Yeah. And I had that feeling, and then a thought crossed my mind. I'm, 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 I'm like, I'm looking dead in your eyes because I want to see if there's any any glimmer of, of you tilting your hand. Is it possible that Rand is not the dragon reborn? No. Okay. Rand's the dragon reborn. Okay. Okay. I thought that might have been able to be a uh, rug getting pulled out from under us, and maybe mm. there's a different... Oh, no, 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 no. It's a long series, so... Yeah. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. Right. Rand, it, Rand is the dragon right. reborn. We're right. good. He's fulfilled parts of the prophecy of the dragon. Oh, We're that's, good. that's true. That, that's so. pretty hard to ignore. Yeah. <laughs> No, Moraine would probably would probably know too a little bit. Yeah, she would probably at this point. It's been nearly a year. She would have been like, "All oh, right, oh, <laughs> egg on my face." Yeah. <laughs> All right. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a uh, that's that's an air ball from from half court. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. So Egwene isn't sure which of the two women to believe, but she's also like, we can't discount either of them because one of them could be true. You know. Right. So then the chapter ends with Moraine coming in, and she looks furious and. We jump straight into uh, chapter six, Doorways, 
Um, she calls Rand a mule-headed, stone-willed fool of a man. And my favorite thing is Elaine, because this is Elaine's POV, she notices that Nynaeve just beams at that. Because, like, <laughs> it's so funny, because if this was Nynaeve, she would be like, oh, yeah, Rand, how could you be so stubborn? Why are you doing this? It's Moraine getting angry, and she's just like, yeah, girl, that's how we raise him in the two rivers. And Aglade's just like, the fuck, no, what? <laughs> it's it's a great, it's just a fun little, like, oh, my God, dude. And and uh, and just so I have my stuff right, that's Moraine calls Rand that. Nynaeve is very happy about oh, that. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, Nynaeve has, has her mission. She, she wants to, like, destroy Moraine for undoing you know, all the peace that was in the village. Uh, this is the first crack in that, that I think, you know, I don't think these characters can stay one dimensional or the same. Yeah. No, no. I think there's going to be an allyship down the road, or at least at the very least an understanding, or maybe even a time where uh, Nynaeve has the chance to pull the trigger, but won't or can't do it. Interesting. Um, I, I, that's a soft prediction. I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm calling out. All right. All right. Uh, so Rand, uh, so Moraine comes in and, you know, before we, uh, get to even what she's mad about, we learn that she's going to take the two black sisters, send them up to Tarvalon and goes like, they're not going to be as nice to you as we were here. And Nynaeve and Egwene are a little pissed because they're kind of like, we've been doing the work here of interrogating them. And Moraine just turns around and goes, you think just because you have the Armalin seat orders, you know, what's really going on here. Like... This isn't what you think it is. You reminder, you all are all accepted. Mm-hmm. And she turns to Elaine and goes, "You need to understand that if you're gonna do this, not everything is gonna be like Andoran customs." And we kind of learn now. The girls learn that Bear Elaine was in Rand's room, and you know this gets to a whole discussion. Egwene goes, "I love him like a brother. I know how you feel about him." And then they turn to Moraine and go, "Have you ever been in love?" And she goes. I think I know the fates of the man that I will marry better than you guys know your future husbands. And it's just this whole, like, wait, 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 wait. That's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I compared it to when your teacher minimizes the screen and you see their desktop and you're like, oh, who's that? Trying to, like, infer everything you can about their personal lives and stuff. Oh, yeah. And so it's mm. this thing about Moraine is, we figured she might have, Min might have told her something. And so who do you think her husband is if she even has a husband in this series? Man, I, you know, it, it's weird because starting out, I kind of thought it was, it was her and Lan. Mm. I, I just kind of figured, you know, the, the Aes Sedai warder bond could be exactly that, just a bond, or it could be something, you know, not even romantic, but deeper than that, you know, a life partnership that, just kind of an understanding that you're going to be there forever. Yeah. At this point, though, I think it's somebody. I don't have a specific name. Okay. I think it's somebody who's not quite a player in, in the book so far, but I do think they have been alluded to or we've seen them in some capacity. Okay. I, you know, and, and this is the this is like the one where, like, I'm just excited for it to unfold. Yeah. I don't have any, like, predictions. I don't have any any anything but anticipation for what it is that's fair uh but yeah and actually i i think and you know i could be wrong so for any of our uh female identifying listeners please please correct me if i'm wrong but this this felt like a really nice feminine moment and i'm always appreciative when a male writer can kind of nail those and 
do it with some nuance, do it with some subtlety and, you know, just move these really human connections fairly because I love that we really, we really, really hammer on Egwene saying, mm, it's not for me, you know, and Elaine yeah. really, like, really, we've put it out in the open that there's there's something there, you know, and again, Moiraine has her shit. Oh, yeah. Uh, too. So I I really thought this was really well done. Robert Jordan hits and misses with his women. Sometimes it's a little like, have you been friends with women or know how female friends interact? It's not like a weird, like, it's not bad. Mm -hmm. But I always think of the uh, John Mulaney bit. It's This is the John Mulaney bit podcast um, where it's like, um, it's not that I don't think women can't be friends. I just don't think they could be friends in a big group. Like, <laughs> I don't think Ocean's Eleven could have happened with women, which is funny because that, that remake came out a couple years after that movie. He's like, because I feel like eleven nine would be doing the work and two would be breaking apart to talk shit. Not even talk shit, just say weird, passive-aggressive things like, oh, I just love how you wear anything. <laughs> but, yeah, it's... Robert Jordan's women are very nuanced and very great. Um... But again, this is two men talking, and so we will we will leave room to be corrected and yeah. for anyone to bring in their nuance yeah. and their opinions about this because I'd love to I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, uh, women in the chat, how do you feel about Robert Jordan's yeah. women? Do you feel they're uh, they're well written, or is it does it feel very much a man trying to write a woman and trying to do it well? If that makes sense. So we finally get Moraine's plan. Nynaeve goes, can we get to the topic back at hand? Um, and, like, as this is happening, we get Elaine's thought process of, she's just like, how did I become the peacekeeper over here? Like, we start to get a little bit more of Elaine's character in the book, mm -hmm. in this chapter. Because, really, she's had a couple POV chapters, I believe, I believe. But we don't really get to see her insight. And this is kind of revealing, because as good of a soul as Egwene, as Elaine is, she's very naive. Her very her points of reference are just Linny, her nursemaid, and uh, Morghese. Um, I don't think she's had a lot of ins... She knows the world in theory, but not in practice, right. you know? I think... Yeah, we're, we're kind of at the introductory bit of her getting her real-world experience. Yeah. And, you know, starting to fill those shoes for what's to come for her. Because I've got a feeling she's she's going to have to take the mantle. She's going to take the crown. Oh, yeah. Uh, not only that, it's funny because she's kind of confused about being the peacekeeper. To me, at least, it's very obvious. Because Egwene, yeah. Nynaeve, and Moraine have all been traveling together. They've all been around each other for a while. And we've, we've seen some of the specific breaks happening. You know, Egwene breaking from Nynaeve because she was going to be kind of groomed to be the next wisdom or at least learn kind of those arts. And then all of a sudden she's better accepted than Nynaeve is. Yeah. And, you know, Nynaeve has her beef with Moraine. And I it, it's just so obvious that and Elaine I, would be the neutral peacekeeper. Because I also think Elaine has had to learn mediation as the queen. Yes. As like... Di diplomacy and uh, yeah. yeah forget what her title is uh i think it's first princesses vandor i believe but i think yeah but i think again it's this i've studied it and then in the real world she's like this is hard this kind of sucks i don't like this you know man and i i really like this because this is the first time i've been able to pull uh at least specifically for me kind of a a a fantasy element to my real world experiences. Yeah. I think about like being in school and learning about stuff 
than actually being out in the world and realizing that it's totally different. And while school was great and I learned some stuff, it does not prepare you in the slightest. Well, I loved how like in high school they were like, college is so much more difficult. They are so unrelenting. Meanwhile, my professor will heely on into the room and go, hey guys, I don't want to do class today. Bye. (laughs) Like it's literally like, because I think, yeah, it's like I get the why they would go, hey, it's a lot more difficult, but... I don't know. It's I think it is this thing of good intentioned but not well done, you right. know? And I think that's what happened with Elaine cuz I don't know if Elaine really got to travel. Like she didn't get to see the entire world. I think Yeah, she hasn't been with people. Yeah, of, I think, of all walks of life. Cuz like she's only had Galad and Gawain and so she's like those well, Gowan was her probably her only friend. Mm-hmm. And so now she's out in the world. And she's like, oh, I have girlfriends now. Oh, there's a hot redheaded dude. Like a <laughs> boy who is not Gallet or Gowan or the high lord, the lords of Camelon's sons or yeah. something like And she's kind of experiencing the world. Oh, I can make my own choices now. Elaine was a bit of a placeholder for me up until this point. Just yeah. a okay, we've got a princess. Okay, we've got a status figure. We've we've got a we've got a character that's just filling in for again, like a, a status bit. Yeah. This is the first time I've actually liked Elaine and I've kind of anticipated and I look forward to her growth. Oh yeah. Well her and the uh Egwene and Nynaeve are kind of the same in the sense of grew up in a small sort of like community are now experiencing the world for the first time. And it's kind of like being able to make their own decisions that weren't pre-set out for them. So there's a little bit of parallel there. Obviously, Elaine is rich and has a title, but I feel like Elaine's inner thoughts was, oh, I get to hang with the poor. And it's just like, Elaine just gives off that like, a little tone deaf, like, I feel like she'd be one of those people that's like, yeah, you know, um, did you guys go to Europe for your summer vacation? Kim, oh, there are people who are dying. Yeah, like, well-intentioned, but very naive. And I think, you know, we see her talking about her crush for Rand, and she's like, I know this is ridiculous, but I can't help it. And I'm like, Elaine, you're horny. That's okay. <laughs> it happens. It's this six foot six kind of i gotta imagine rand's like a little like built because he's farming he's a farmhand i mean those anyone working on a farm you're just built like a trunk even if you're not like sculpted like at the gym there's a certain there's a certain hunkiness that comes with the territory imagine it is this almost like forbidden fruit because like rand's a commoner he's not like an Andorran noble like what yeah but i mean like the stake is that like oh he's gonna go insane (laughs) um and even they discuss it later on. They're like, he, he'll go insane. She's like, that's okay. I'm like, girl, your life is in danger, but you still want dick. That's me <laughs> at 3 a.m. When it's like, you want to meet behind the gas station? I'm like, I might die, but yeah. He's going to go insane, and I want to be there when it happens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, let me let that pussy drive him insane. Oh, God. Okay, I'm so sorry, y'all. It had to be said. It, I, I, I saw it from a mile away. Yeah. So... So Moraine kind of reports what happened with the bubble of evil and she kind of tells them what she told Rand. Like, mm-hmm. you, he can't just sit here. He needs to do something. So then she says, this is my plan. To strengthen Rand in the eyes of the Tyrans, he's going to go to war with Ilion, where Samael is. And if he does that 
And like Nynaeve's like, whoa, whoa. And she's and like, so Moraine explains the point about the war and Nynaeve's like, no, 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 no. Hold on. She says, you only want him to start a war. You want him to seek out one of the forsaken. No wonder he is being stubborn. He is not a fool for a man. <laughs> you know, I think like you start to see a little bit in Nynaeve and Egwene are like, whoa, like they've kind of been on board so far, but I think they have their own agenda with Rand and uh, Elaine sees it. She's like, one of them grew up with him and another helped raise him. There's like, there's a reason why they're really upset right now. But Elaine goes, dude, this has to happen. He needs the support of these nations. And if they see him defeat a forsaken, essentially with one of the strongest armies in the world, he'll have an ally, you know, I uh, I said it the first time we 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 tried to record this episode. I really do not like Moraine pulling this string. I think, and I've had some time to uh, to sleep on it, and I still think that I hate that she's pulling the strings. I think Moraine understands what has to be done. Yeah, but Nynaeve and Nguyen understand Rand. Right, and I think those two things conflict, and. I think I think it just clicked for me. This is where Rand is going to fail. I think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to go well. The war with Ilian? Yes. I I have a bad feeling about this. I feel like Moraine is pushing too hard and not playing it from the back yeah. anymore. And I've just I've got a bad feeling about it. Cuz she even says like I have to do this. Do you want him to run away again? Who knows he could get killed by a forsaken and that's it. We're screwed. And she's thinking that, but I just, you know, she doesn't have she doesn't talk to Rand. She right. does. She doesn't have a one-on-one, a heart-to-heart with him. And maybe she feels like she can, or she's gonna, you know, push wrong or something. But I think Rand understands his destiny. I think he understands this weight that he has embraced himself being the dragon. Yes. But up until this point, it has been all a fluke based on just the raw power he has. Yeah. He still doesn't understand it. He doesn't understand the choices he has to make. He just finds himself in these situations, and he, by the skin of his teeth. And by the luck of his power and destiny, he gets out of it. This is the first choice that is going to be made that is, it's going to go wrong. It's going to go bad. I'm, it's, it, there's no other way. Right. Yeah. I believe. And, you know, she, uh, again, talks about how he doesn't act. He's reading the prophecies of the dragon thinking, that's my guide. And she quotes a bit of the prophecy. Power of the shadow made human flesh, wakened to turmoil, strife, and ruin. The reborn one, marked and bleeding, dances the sword in dreams and mist, chains the shadow sworn to his will from the city lost and forsaken, leads the spears of war once more, breaks the spears and makes them see the truth long hidden in the ancient dream. So kind of breaking that down, it's the power of the shadow made human flesh, wakened to turmoil, strife, and ruin. The Forsaken, the Reborn One, blah, 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 leads the Spears to war once more. This is, that whole bit is talking about Rand um, and like dances the, dances the sword in dreams and mist. Obviously, when Ashamael was kind of invading his dreams, he kind of like went fight, fight, fight. Uh, obviously, the sh- uh, chains the shadow sworn to his will. Samael. So it's obvious that like, and he's going to lead the, uh, the spears in battle. That's the Aeol to war with Ilion. And then what I'm not sure is breaks the spears and makes them see truth long hidden in the ancient dream. I think, and you know, especially with these prophecies as a first time reader, it's 
It's a lot of fluff to me. It's a lot of waffle of like, I don't know, I guess I'll see what that means later. That does, to me, I think I do infer it as we think it's going to be a war. We think it's going to be a battle, a physical conflict. But there's something underneath that. It's not just about the fight, the physical fight itself. Yeah. It's about the metaphorical struggle of the light versus the dark, I think. And I think that underneath that is going to blow out somehow. Yeah. Do you think like chaining a shadow sworn, do you think like not an allyship to Samael, but do you think there might be like a we win, we get this battle, but the worst thing he does is he goes, Samael is now my like. So if Moraine can't teach me about the power, it's going to be Samael. Mm, that's interesting. Uh, it could be that I kind of found it as he's going to use him as a weapon, uh, Samael. He's he somehow is going to compel him, chain him to himself, and an allyship of some kind. Okay. Uh, but yeah, you know what? Who who's to say? Not me, because I uh, I will read ahead and find out. But some some shit's about to hit the fan. And I really do think it's coming from Moraine trying to push the prophecy a bit too much instead of organically letting it happen. Yeah. Because up until now, everything in the last couple of books has just organically happened because of the choices Artevaren have made. Matt blew the horn and fulfilled that. Yeah. Rand ran away, but he found Kalendor. Yeah. You know, I I, I just, I, I cannot shake this bad feeling of Moraine is just playing with fire. Do you think this because you predicted she was going to die at the end of dragon reborn do you think that it's this is the mentor dies do you think maybe it's she pushed too hard and this is what happened like maybe it is that she gets to the like during the battle of uh samuel and rand when they're kind of like back and forth before rand gets samuel she gets caught in the crossfire or something I don't think she's going to die. I think she's going to be around for a long time. Okay. However, I think Rand is going to personally exile her in some kind of way. Cut, okay. cut ties with her, cut her out. He's he's going to get, you know, uh, he's going to have the realization that she's been pushing and pushing too hard. And he's going to feel like, no, I've got to understand and figure this out for myself. And I'm tired of being pushed from behind. Yeah. So I think he's going to cut ties with her at some point, And it, it very well may happen in this book. So not to break your earlier theory, do you think Rand will fulfill He Who Comes with the Dawn in Ilion? No, I think I think Ilian is going to be a bloodbath and it's going to be a loss for our heroes. Okay. But I think it's exactly going to be that. I think it's going to be a bloody nose or a black eye to our our heroes. But I think the he who comes with the dawn is going to be a much more epic moment. Okay. I think it's going to be, you know, possibly an end of the book type of climax. Okay, like we leave it here. Mm-hmm. But I think it's going to be like when the horn gets blown at the end of the second book. Something okay. like that where we go oh, shit, that's who he, who comes with the dawn is. Yeah, so it's like a sort of build-up, like, like we get the battle of, like, mm -hmm. the book four is going to end with the Battle of Ilion. Yes. Okay. And, and I do think some bad stuff's going to happen in Ilion, but I, I don't I don't quite think we're we're there at that prophecy yet. Do you think we're losing anyone in Ilion? Yeah, Ooh. I think so. I think, oh, man, oh, man. I think we're going to lose some of the people we were introduced to, uh, uh, like Ruark. Okay. I think we're going to lose some Aiel. Uh, like Ruark, Avienda. Mm-hmm. Some, some, some of those, I think, 
I think we're gonna, yeah. I think some people are going to get maimed and, you know, forever altered. I could see that happening to Matt. Okay. Uh, or Perrin. I think those are kind of our uppers that won't die, but they will be forever changed. Right. <laughs> uh, either physically, emotionally, psychologically, whatever. Uh, and finally, I think... You know, I gotta say it, I think Lan is gonna die at some point as yeah. a sacrifice to Nynaeve. I, I just, I feel that in my heart. I don't think it's gonna happen now, but I wouldn't be surprised if something like that happens in Ilion. So yeah, so for the people, just to recap, there's gonna be a battle in Ilion at the end of this book, and we're losing Ruark, possibly a lot of the uh, Aiel. So Avienda, Ruark, maybe Bane and Shiad. We might lose a couple of our main people. Uh, Lan, possibly Matt and Perrin are going to get scarred from the battle. And that's just to read and find out for you, bud. Because <laughs> I can't go any further. Yeah, and as, as a soft prediction, like a general feeling I have, I do think the Aiel, I think we're going to build them up. We're going to meet a lot of the persons. But I think a lot of them are going to have to die to make that he who comes with the dawn moment really kind of spark. Interesting. So I think it's going to be, you know, the Aiel people's worst moment before that happens. And for that to happen, I think we're going to lose some people. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll just uh, put that in our back pocket. <laughs> we'll see where that goes. Uh, so Moraine is talking to them and he's, she's like, I'm very desperate right now. Like, I need something. So she brings up in the Great Holding of Tear, there is a red stone door, redstone doorway that's kind of twisted, and it's a Terangriel. And immediately, Egwene and Nynaeve and Egwene, Elaine and Nynaeve are like, "Perfect, we can ask about where Leantrin and the others are. We can ask about Tanchico." And Moraine goes, "No, no, no. There are rules, and there are dangers." She says, "You can only go through the doorway once." You can ask three questions, but you have to hear the answers out. You can't just be like, eh, I don't like that answer. Bye. You can't ask anything about the shadow. Um, and she said, you can't ask anything frivolous. And she says, unfortunately, a frivolous question is very subjective. So there's a lot of danger. And she says, if you ask a question about the shadow, you could come out a mad woman or not come out at all. So what do you think is behind the redstone doorway? What do you think is in there? Uh, I think it's a being or a force. Just I think it's it, I think it's almost like a transportation to another dimension. Yeah. Uh, Robert Jordan has not shied away from messing with space and time. You know, kind of doing these mirror worlds that look like theirs but isn't quite. Yeah. So I think it's a transportation to a different world. And I think I love that little caveat about about uh, uh, not being frivolous. Because here's the thing, Elaine could go through and ask about the future of her and Rand. Yeah. That would be very frivolous to maybe us, the readers, and the group at large. But to Elaine, that could be the most important question she wants answered. Oh, yeah. So it's funny because some of the answers they need probably aren't the questions that they're going to ask about. Because yeah. for Moraine, that's probably what she would ask about. You know, what what do I do next? What, how do I make these prophecies come true? But to our younger folks... You know they they still have they have a they have a horse in this race for sure. Yeah, but some things are more important to them in this life right now, and a lot of that does come from the human bonds and connections. You know, Perrin and his his humanity and stuff like that. Uh, Matt and his destiny. 
you know, I think a lot of it is going to be very personalized. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is going to change them personally. And it's going to affect how they interact with the story to come. But I don't think it's going to give us everything we want on the outside, you know? That's fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, she kind of says, like, you all should go to Tanchico anyway. Uh, and I'm sorry, I have to drop it just because it's Tanchico. Go to Ch- Tanchico, sit on the beach, get a little tan in, you know? Um, and she said, I've sent Swan word about what's happening. And I thought about it, and then I thought about what happened in Chapter 1 with uh, Elida and Alviarin. And I'm like, that scares me a little bit, knowing that Swan says there's a threat to the Black o- Tower in the Black Aja, with the Black Aja. Like, it's this thing of you're watching this, and you kind of feel helpless about what's to come, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know what? I'm... I love Moraine. I do. I I just feel like I'm pairing more and more with Rand of like not trusting her and a little bit angry with her. Yeah. She might have sent word. Uh, I think she did, but very much like the Aes Sedai, I don't think that's the whole truth. I think I think this is one cog in a in a large machine of her playing around. She's sending them to Tanchico. She's letting the uh, Amarillan know what's happening. I think she's letting her know a little bit more, and there's a little bit more of a plan that we are yeah. not savvy to yet okay well I th- yeah just because it's like we know what we know but swan decided to tell min was we both kind of agreed to do this you know mm-hmm. to find the dragon reborn and try to bring him here and min was like wait what the like has that same like you can't do that he's a person and she's just like okay dude like what do you want us to do i think moraine and swan have this we kind of can't back down from the plan now homeboy is here and it's getting worse by the second, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the chapter ends with a bit of girl talk with the Wonder Girls. And uh, so it's essentially like Elaine and Egwene decide, let's just talk to Rand together, tell him what's going on, and we'll be good. Um, and Elaine kind of worries, like, what would Mother say? And Egwene brings up, like, well, Matt said she's dating this dude named Gabriel, and he's like... She's like besotted and Elaine's like, uh, I don't know if I believe that, you know, mm-hmm. he might've over-exaggerated, you know? And so they agree in the morning to see Rand and that's kind of where we leave them, which it's a nice little, like, I don't know. It's like, it's not a relief, but it's also like a worry for the girls. Cause they're going to see Rand. Cause I don't know if they've seen him in the two weeks they didn't even. I don't think they even saw him when he claimed Kalendor and killed Ishamael. Like, no, I don't know the, how much uh, interaction they've had with him. You yeah, know, because they've been in the the dungeons and uh, they've been on their mission. Yeah, for a while. And no, it, it is kind of crazy. Where, you know, starting this out, I kind of figured this was going to be a bit of a uh, fellowship of the ring kind of deal, where it's yeah. like the group is always together until they inevitably break up, and they do and when they do, they all have their individual kind of paths that start taking them away from each other and then intersecting later. And I think it's such an interesting mechanic that when they meet up again, they're not the same people they were. Yeah. <laughs> no, I really like that too. And you you get the both, you see how they progress, but you also see like they haven't progressed. Like, right. and, like the biggest example is Matt when he saves the Wonder Girls in the tower, in the Dungeons of Tear. 
they see Matt still as the little prankster from the village, and Elaine's just like, yeah, you. But we see Matt as, no, he's kind of like coming to his own a little bit. He's a hero, even though he's not a bloody hero. So we get this kind of like, oh, we see how you've changed, and oh, you haven't changed in theirs, and you'll always be this, and this, and this, and this. We get just a very layered and very nuanced journey, you know? Yeah, yeah, and to take on how those relationships, on a personal level, don't change, even yeah. if the person does. And I think that's even reflected in some of the older people, you know, uh, Moraine and uh, uh, the Amarillan, what, what's her name? Swan. Swan. You know, they, they've had a relationship for a long time, and, you know, everyone in the tower, everyone outside probably looks at them as the Amarillan and an Aes Sedai, but to them, they're, they're friends and they're comrades, you know, and that, that will probably never change. So I, I think it's a very nuanced, a very fair take on relationships at large. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think this is a good place to end this episode. Um, thank you, everyone who chilled out with us in the Discord server. And if you're listening to this episode uh, not live, you should come over. Come over to our Discord server. Listen to us live. It's fun. It's great. That's right. You can find us at uh, Loyal's Book Club on Discord. We are also on. Oh. We have the we have the Discord link in the bio. Oh, we do. Okay, so yeah. uh, you know you can't find uh, it. You uh, can't search on. I don't think you can search on Discord. You can search on Discord. Anyway, you know, for as big as Discord got this year, uh, uh, during you know what, I definitely got into it, and it was my introduction to it. I, I feel so like inept with Discord. I'm still learning so much Eric, about I will it. Show you how to learn, use Discord. Thank you. Give just. Just teach me the ways of the Discord. I will teach you the ways uh, of Discord. Discord info is in the bio. Yes, Discord info <laughs> is in the bio. Uh, you can find follow us at Loyal's Book Club on Instagram, and then Loyal underscore S on Twitter. And then, Eric, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Viva Ladanes. If you need to know how to spell it, go to a previous episode. <laughs> oh, you're not going to spell it out That for is V-I-V-A-L-A-D-A-I-N-S yeah. on Twitter. And I'm Dalen M. Tone on Instagram. If you want to just see memes and baby pictures of my niece. And if you want to follow my intense thirsting after uh, male fictional fantasy characters, you can find me at The Only Gay in the Two Rivers on Twitter. Um, so we are going to end the episode here. Thank you once again, everybody, for coming out. And we will see you next week when we cover chapters 7 through 10 of The Shadow Rising. But we're going to leave on this note. Instead of marry, fuck, kill. All right, Eric, drive to LAX at rush hour. Help them move into their Hollywood apartment. Go to their improv show. <laughs> and so let me expand on this. So um, the improv show, they're not first in the docket. They're like third. No, they're okay. like, f they're after the 15 minute break. Okay. So, and, I, so I got to sit through like. And it's been a lot of one girl improv teams, like those teams where you're like, you're only playing the girlfriend. It's been like, ah. it's been one of those, like those teams where you're like. A lot of like, oh, you're just friends that got together and said, let's do an improv team. All right. So so whose improv team am I going to uh, wade through all that for? All right. Um, so your three options, Rand, Matt, Perrin. It's going to be Matt. Matt's the improv guy? It's going to be Matt. I, I just feel like, I feel like, yes, I, 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 think, I think he'd be a lot of fun to watch on stage. All right. Yep. Who are you driving to the airport at rush hour? LAX airport. Uh, LAX, uh, 
For all the non-Californians, this may be obvious, LAX, Los Angeles International Airport, during rush hour, it's fucking insane. It's a nightmare. Every time someone asks, can you drive me to LAX? It's one of those like, I'll do it. That, that is a test of the relationship. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do, and I'm, I'm picking from the remaining two. Between Matt and Rand. Oh. Uh, between Perrin and Rand. Oh, shit. See, now I wish now I wish I kept Matt for this. because I Now think you're he... going to his improv show. Um... Oh, Jesus. It's gonna... Uh, Rand. Okay. It's gonna be Rand. All right, you're sitting through 50 minutes of traffic with Rand, which mm-hmm. means you are helping Perrin move into his apartment in Hollywood off La Brea. Like, <laughs> like it's not even, like, decent. Oh. And so, again, I feel like this is... I feel like I think it's niche, and so, like, if you don't know, but parking in Hollywood, L.A. in general, is just non-existent. Um... Either you pay or you're running around, you're driving around um, four blocks and you find one parking, but you have to wait an hour because then you can get towed. It's a lot. So you are sitting in rush hour traffic with Rand, helping Perrin move into his apartment and going to Matt's improv show. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> I like that. All right. We'll see you guys next week and thank you all for tuning out. Tuning out. Tuning in. But we are tuning out. All right, y'all have fun now. Y'all come back now, you hear? (laughs) 